Listen now to these familiar words from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. And the New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I invite you to listen once again for the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by John in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff 
He will burn with unquenchable fire. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past year, a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill became quite a phenomenon, not only among clergy, but the general public. It's rare that a religion podcast would be a chart topper, but this one proved to be. It's a 12-part series that details the meteoric rise of an independent megachurch in Seattle called Mars Hill and its sudden collapse a little more than a decade later. While megachurches often blossom and flourish, then wither and perish, the case of Mars Hill was especially surprising among observers of religion in America. The church formed in one of the least religious cities in our country, and it was an early adapter of digital innovation. Its sermons were broadcast across the internet long before the rest of us were doing that. It planted satellite campuses all throughout Seattle and invested in the most cutting-edge technology in order to accommodate its massive growth in numbers. To an outside observer, it seemed to embody what a successful church could look like in an increasingly secular culture. But things are not always as they seem. And even while thousands and thousands of people were joining the ranks at Mars Hill, the church was rotting within. Its charismatic but bombastic founding pastor bullied and emotionally abused those around him. His sermons became increasingly shocking and controversial, even while he consolidated his power in the church. And finally, after a series of scandals, the church collapsed almost overnight. And as so often happens after the sudden disintegration of an institution or prominent individual, people gathered in the rubble to ask, what happened? What went wrong? And could it have been avoided? Analysis of these questions throughout the podcast suggests a surprising conclusion. Yes, lots of people knew what was going on. Lots of people were wary of the pastor and of the church's obsession with growth for the sake of growth, its obsession with being impressive. Yes, we wondered about things one person involved with the church reflected. But just look at the fruit, she said, perhaps to reassure herself. With so many people coming, we must have been doing something right, we thought. It is easy, isn't it, to equate cultural impressions of success with the biblical concept of fruitfulness. Numbers, revenue, and acclaim look like success. And whenever a trend catches on, people throng to take part in a movement. But fruitfulness may or may not look like numbers, revenue, and acclaim. Yes, sometimes the kingdom of God breaks into the world as a profound revival with all the striking transformation that we long to see. But other times, the kingdom of God more closely resembles a mustard seed, which only grows into a mighty tree slowly 
over time. John the Baptist was certainly more concerned with fruitfulness than popularity. His ministry, too, exhibits a kind of meteoric rise. The Baptist was charismatic, known for his startling fashion sense of camel's hair and leather belts, as well as his enigmatic diet of locusts and wild honey. And Matthew details just how widespread his popularity becomes in a short time. He writes that the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan. Those are some serious numbers. And the commoners and the elite alike were coming for baptism. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees came to see what all the fuss was about. But admiration was certainly not John's aim. He was obviously not keen on preaching a gentle, feel-good message to maintain his broad appeal. No, John was all about the business of pointing to Jesus Christ and nothing else. His sole aim was to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. One who is more powerful than I is coming after me, John said. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. And while pointing to Jesus, John did not shy away from the urgency and the potency of his coming. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees, John warns. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Wow. What then should be done to prepare for the coming of the Lord? John tells us, bear fruit, he says. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Fruitfulness is what John is interested in. Not adulation or trendiness or prosperity. Fruitfulness. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Good fruit is what John calls for. Good fruit. Over and against not just no fruit, but especially bad fruit. Some fruit trees, I suppose, bear no fruit at all. They're largely inconsequential. They just sit in an orchard and take up space. But if you're a fruit tree, it's hard not to bear any fruit. Most likely you will bear one fruit or another. Some fruit is delicious and nourishing, while other fruit is sour and rotten. My neighbors growing up in Denver had a big crab apple tree in their front yard. Crab apples are actually apples. They're from the same biological family, the Malus genus, in case you're interested in a piece of trivia. But though it's a misconception that crab apples are toxic, nevertheless, you'd hardly want to eat them, what with their sharp tartness taste. There were so many crab apples in my front yard, they used to clog up the lawnmower when I'd mow the yard, and when they'd rot, they'd leave this mild stench, and you'd, ever, you'd get down close to the grass. Lots of other apples are better than crab apples. 
There are honey crisp apples, after all, the best snack there is, if you ask me. So sweet and juicy, much more nutritious and delicious than crab apples, infinitely more worthwhile. If I could cut down a crab apple tree and plant a honey crisp apple tree, I'd do it in a heartbeat. There's lots of scriptures that speak about humans as though we were fruit trees. So as we prepare for the Lord's coming, it's worth assessing what kind of fruit our lives are bearing. The biblical metaphor of fruit is simply the results of our actions. Our fruit is the impact we are making through what we do and how we conduct ourselves. And again, chances are we are bearing some kind of fruit. If any of our actions have any impact on anyone else, well then we're bearing fruit. And so the question becomes not whether we're bearing fruit, but what kind of fruit we are bearing. Are we bearing crab apples or honey crisps? Are we bearing what John calls fruit worthy of repentance? Insofar as we are bearing good fruit, then we should prioritize the cultivation of those actions in our lives. And insofar as we're bearing bad fruit, we should repent, as John demands, for indeed, the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. For Christians, fruitfulness is the measure we should use when we assess our lives of faith. Now, it's easy to veer off to the right or to the left here, thinking on the one hand that only that which corresponds to success by worldly standards can be fruitful, or by thinking, on the other hand, that God is too gentle and docile to demand any kind of tangible fruitfulness from us. It's true that fruitfulness cannot be equated with worldly success, but neither is it something that cannot be assessed. Fruitfulness can be identified. It's the product of God's spirit at work in our lives and in the church, after all. So we should be able to point to the fruit God bears in our lives and say, God did that. That's where God is at work. Assessing fruitfulness means discerning the ripple effects of all that we do. Consider your private life or our collective life as a church. Where do we invest our best time and energy? Who is served and who is neglected? Or consider how we use our voice. Who is torn down and who is built up by what we say? Who is spoken for? Who is ignored? Or consider how we use our wealth. What does our budget say about our priorities, about what we feel is most urgent in life? These are the sorts of questions that we can ask to assess fruitfulness in our lives. And in the end, fruitfulness, good fruit, fruit worthy of repentance, is found where we see transformation happening. Not superficial, surface-level change, but lasting transformation into the image of Christ. That is fruitfulness. 
In Galatians, when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in a Christian's life, he puts love at the top of the list. And since love is the theme of this second Sunday in Advent, we might ask ourselves more specifically where we see the fruit of love manifesting itself in our church and in our individual lives. To what extent does the life we are living reveal a love that points to Jesus Christ, that prepares the way for his coming? You know, when I think back again on that tragic story of Mars Hill Church, I'm reminded that love is the most important fruit a church can bear as we prepare for our Lord's coming. Mars Hill was known for its popularity, the charisma of its leader, and its radical break with the larger culture. But in the end, the church crumbled because it was pursuing worldly categories of success that, in their case, didn't align with fruit worthy of repentance. As individuals and as a church, My prayer today is that we may keep our focus on bearing good fruit, fruit worthy of repentance, fruit worthy of Christ's coming. Everything we do may not always be flashy or flawless, but if it's done with love, God's Spirit does marvelous things, even in subtle ways. God's Spirit bears marvelous fruit in our midst. So as we join John the Baptist in pointing to the one who comes among us, may the love that Christ brings be our guiding light and our vision for who we are becoming. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.